Paul Rice, good morning. Good morning. Great to see you here. Um, we're going to continue with our series on Satan this morning. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read from verse 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that we have coming together in this way in order to learn from you. We pray this morning that your Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. We ask that our hearts would be open to you. We diligently seek to know what you would have us uh, to learn this morning, that we might grow further into the image of your Son. Father, we pray this thing not for ourselves, but for you. We ask only these things that we might glorify you in our lives and be the children that you would have us to be. We thank you once again for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, for those of you who weren't here, The subject was the devil. And that the devil is the master counterfeiter. He knows how to create something that looks very much like the original. And the scriptures tell us clearly that the devil can present himself as an angel of light. And it says, and it's not... Um, uh, uh, shouldn't be a surprise to us that also his ministers present themselves as ministers of light because he indeed is the one who sends them forth. The Apostle John tells us that many, many false prophets have gone out into the world even in his day and today more so. And what's the purpose of false prophets? What's the purpose of Satan creating counterfeits? Is to cause confusion and to degrade the church of God. So the Bible tells us also that, the, that Satan has a false gospel. So where there is the gospel of Christ, Satan has an alternative gospel. Something that look, might look quite nice and might look very similar, but isn't the same. The Bible says that he is, has his own synagogue. He has his own church. He has his own ministers. He has his own pastors. Everything that God has created... For the purpose of reaching man and, and to feed the children of God in order that they might grow into strong Christians, the devil has a counterfeit to confuse people. And where he can't counterfeit, and that's why we have so many different types of churches in the world today, where he can't counterfeit, what he tries to do is to infiltrate the church of God. And he does that by planting people who aren't saved and puts them in powers, in, in positions of power that they might influence and cause, once again, degradation. So we've moved on from that now, and today we look at a passage which most of you would have been very familiar with from a very young age. I mean, hands up, who hasn't, probably, probably a better uh, number to, to, to count, who hasn't ever been through this passage when you were in Sunday school? Do you know what I mean? This is, a, this is such a... No, you didn't have Sunday school. No, no, that's fine, I understand. 
But if you're in, if you're in a, a, a Christian church, a Baptist church, this is probably the, one of the most popular passages that are used for children because they love the imagery of it, right? You know, the picture of the soldier with the shield and all this sort of stuff, and, and I don't know how many camps would have been created around this particular topic you know, about having the armour of God. Well, today we're going to be looking at the armour of God. And so, so last week's um, focus was the devil and his, and his system of counterfeit. Uh, today we're going to look at um, the devil's personal attacks on ourselves and how we need to be prepared for those. And this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 10, sorry, chapter 6, Paul had been in prison roughly for about two years in, uh, in Rome. So he was, he was in prison. He spent about two years in Rome under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers. Paul would have been quite familiar with Roman soldiers. And here he was with them and they were guarding the place where he was staying. And during that time he managed to write four epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. So living for two years with a Roman soldier, you guess Paul might have probably spent a bit of time looking at them and probably getting a really good idea of how their armour was put together, why it was there and, and what were the different functions of those pieces of armour and why they're important. I would assume Paul would have tried also to preach the gospel to the guards that he, that he had with him as well. No doubt he would have preached the gospel and probably would have started that, that conversation with some natural things. But even though Paul may have been inspired by the Lord to use this particular imagery, maybe it was in front of him for, for, for two years, that, that picture, um, we know that this is not the first time this language is used in the Bible. In fact, it was used way back in Isaiah. And it wasn't about man. God used it about himself. Turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Now, Isaiah is speaking about God in this passage, okay? So it's Isaiah writing it down, and he's, he's referring to God himself. In verse 16, chapter 59 of Isaiah, it says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, and the islands he will repay recompense. Now, there are two things in this particular passage which we don't find in our passage. Which are those two things? Garments of vengeance and zeal as a cloak. God reserves those for himself. Vengeance is the Lord's domain, not ours. Our, the armour that God has prepared for us and we'll look at today has been prepared to defend ourselves against the attacks of the evil one. You'll find out today that we only have one offensive weapon. Everything else that it describes is always defensive and there's only one that's offensive, and that's the word of God itself. And that is never to repay. When was the last time you repaid someone with the word of God in vengeance? It's not for that purpose. The purpose of, of the word of God is to defend ourselves and to, and to uh, break ground. So, today we're going to investigate God's provision and purpose for this special type of armour and weaponry that he has designed specifically for his children on this earth. We are the ones who have been called into battle. A battle that has claimed many souls and has lasted for thousands of years. And the war is not over. And our calling has never been more important. Because the souls of men and women are falling down around us each and every day of our lives. And the time is short. 
We are the ones who God expects to make a difference in this world. We are the ones. If we fail in our mission, then people will go to hell. And the people around us who we have been called to protect and to support will suffer the consequence as well. The Bible depicts many battles from Genesis to Revelation. It is full of battles. Ever wondered that? And we can learn something from each of those battles about how we need to fight against this enemy. But its pages reveal that there are both physical and spiritual battles that are raging. And what my hope is that in these past sermons and the focus on our enemy, that we have been convinced more today that we are in the midst of a raging war and that our enemy is not to be trifled with. He is dangerous. He has proven himself to be a master strategist. And when people go off on their own tangent and seek to do it their own way, they are destined for failure. So we need to understand God's way. And today I want to show you God's way. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. As we look at the war that we are in the midst of. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I have a number of scriptures, so we're going to be moving left and right most of the sermon. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober. That means be alert. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We are called to be sober, to be vigilant, to be always on the alert. Why? Because there is this character going around seeking whom he may devour, literally devour. And it may not be us, but it may be the person next to us. And we've been called to be on the alert, to protect those people that we love, to protect the other people in our church, indeed to defend ourselves first. And God has provided armour for us. And we need armour. We need this. And if we, we lay it aside, we put ourselves in peril and those around us in peril as well. And we need it because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Does that make it clear for you? This is not just for Paul. This is for us. So the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. Most people these days find strength within themselves. And it gets them so far. But to fight a battle against an invisible enemy who is much stronger than we are, who is much more organised than we are, who is more intelligent than we are, you need to follow God's battle plan. We need to be strong in Him, not in ourselves. The fight isn't our own, it's actually His, and He employs us in that battle. In order for us to be strong in the Lord, we have to put aside the confidence in our own abilities and trust in the provision of His power, of His wisdom and His mind. There is a fundamental difference between our own strength and His. If we do not recognise it and use His power and utilise the power that's available to us, we will fail. We will be in a constant state of defeat and frustration. Defeat will be your companion if you choose to do it alone. If you want to fight this battle on your own terms, if you want to fight this battle with your own armour that you've put together, you will live guaranteed in constant defeat and constant frustration. If your life is a revolving 
circle that keeps going around and around and around. It may very well be that you are trying to fight this spiritual battle through your own means. And you haven't learned to trust him. You haven't properly believed what he's told you in his word. So you're trying to do this on your own as you're going along. There is a pattern the Bible tells us. In order to defeat the devil, there is a pattern that's repeated a number of places. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. You should already be there, right? Look what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Then he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Forget about trying to withstand this particular entity without first humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, there's two things. I like that. I love the way that the Bible words things. It says, humble yourself under his mighty hand. It recognises our weakness, our frailty. It recognises that we are blind to this enemy. We are absolutely blind. We can't see him. And we don't have the power and the strength to fight him. But when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, then we have every opportunity to be able to fight this battle. So 1 Peter tells us to humble ourselves that we might... Fight against this, uh, this being. James then tells us in James chapter 4 verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you see the pattern? Submit yourselves under the hand of God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he has to flee. But if you don't submit yourself under God, if you do not, if you choose not to obey his word, if you choose to reject what he tells you, you can resist all you like. He won't flee. Because the power and the ability doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. It's God who sustains and God who equips for the fight. You cannot resist the devil unless you have first humbled yourself and submitted yourself before God. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. Let's start working our way through this um, through this passage. So step number one, be strong in the Lord. Make sure it's in the Lord and not in ourselves. The next thing he tells us, once we've recognised that we need to humble ourselves and to depend on his power, he says in verse 11, put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armour of God, not part of the armour, not one piece at a time, put on the whole thing. Why? Because we need full protection and not just part. He's smart enough. If you're missing a part to get you right there, but if you do put on the whole armour of God, you'll be able to withstand against his wiles. That's his tricks, his schemes. The alternative is if you do not put on the whole armour of God, you will not be able to withstand him. So step number one, submit yourself to God. Humble yourself. Depend on his power. Don't use your own. Second part is put on the whole armour. Don't put on part. Don't expect that if you just put on a helmet and run into the battle with a sword, that you are going to get very far. The devil knows where to aim his arrows. Our enemy. We need to have the, the, the full armour because our enemy is an unseen one, an invisible opponent who fights in the darkness. Therefore, our our armour and the things that God's provided for us are not physical, they are spiritual. And God knows exactly what type of armour we need in order to withstand him. Our armour, our weaponry, must be spiritual. One that's been approved by heaven and tested in the field. 
by many people that have gone before us. Let me ask you a question. Anyone been in the Army Reserves or the Army before? Okay. Can you, if you're called into a, into a battle, if you're called to fight, can you bring your own gun from home? Can you do that? No. Oh, you, don't you have a trusty gun at home? You for sure. You'd have, you'd, have, uh, you'd have a gun. If anyone's got a gun in this place, you've got a gun, right? Bill? Yes. <laughs> he hasn't got a gun. The question simply is, if you're fighting in the army, the Australian army, can you bring your own gun? The answer is absolutely no. As good as gun that you've got, and you might think this gun is the best gun in the world, they will not let you bring your own gun. In fact, everyone issues issue with the same gun. Alan, you, 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 can you guys bring along your own guns, whichever ones you want? No. You guys have a standard sort of gun? With standard sort of bullets as well, right? Hmm. And standard sort of training. Okay. The reason... We have to take up God's armour and God, God's weapons is because he's tested them and he's approved them. You see, the Australian Army, the, the guys in charge, have gone through a whole lot of trouble to compare the different guns, to do all the testing, to test them in the, in the battlefield, to get their responses back, and then to work out which is the best type of gun we want for our soldiers. One's a gun that is able to do the job in varying situations. Which is a gun that's actually going to be the most reliable, like to carry, easy to use. Which is a gun that we want to be able to buy enough ammunition for that's standard and stock. You see, there are many, there are many things they need to, to put into this thought process while they're making this decision. Well, guess what? God's chosen our armour. He's chosen our weapon. And if we choose to go it alone, if we choose to bring our own along, or bring a helmet that's different to the helmet that God's provided, don't expect to get very far. Using different weapons or armour is silly and pointless and dangerous to the fight. You'll put yourself at risk and other people at risk. We've seen the evidence of many who have taken up that armour and have withstood the enemy's attacks. We've also seen the carcasses of many who have rejected to take up God's armour and God's weapon and strewn in the battlefields over the centuries. So please, if God tells you this is the armour that you need to take, please, please, take that armour. Don't try and take different armour. Don't take something else that you think is going to work better than God's armour because there's plenty of this stuff going on in the world's churches today who replace the word of God with plenty of other wonderful things they think work because the world tells them so. Verse 12 says, For, okay, so it says, Take up the whole armour of God, not part, the one that God gives you. And he says, For, that's because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The weapons that God has provided for us, are incredibly strong and powerful against spiritual wickedness. They work. They demolish. They do well. They defend. They do their job exceptionally well in the spiritual realm. Never, never underestimate the ability of, of these things that God has given us. God knows about spiritual warfare. He dwells in the spirit world. He sees what goes on. We don't. So we need to rely on what he gives us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we don't fight each other physically. But verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons that God gives us are mighty. They are able to pull down strongholds. Strongholds? Strongholds are like a fortress. They're able to demolish fortresses. What fortress are you talking about? Maybe there's a fortress that's, that's existing within your life. Maybe there's a stronghold in your life that you struggle with. The Word of God is able to defeat that. 
you're able to defeat and tear down those walls with the armour that God gives you. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 now tells us, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So what's God's expectation of us? Take up the whole armour of God, and it's two things. To having done all, in other words, do all. Don't do part. Don't do a, a, a small amount. Do all. We find ourselves, by the grace of God, standing at the end of the battle. Ever wondered what that evil day is? Here he says there, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Which evil day is that? Is that like the evil day at the end of the world? Or is that the evil day during the tribulation period? Or is it the evil day during... What evil day is it he's talking about? Because it's like one evil day over here. Well, turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Let's see... Let's see what Paul, which day Paul thinks is actually evil. Which is the evil day that Paul is referring to? <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. They're all evil. <laughs> not one, all. They're all evil. But which is the day which is evil? It's today. It's today is the evil day. And God wants the fight to happen today. He doesn't want you sleeping today, getting ready for some battle in the future. He needs you to fight today. You need to fight today. Because if you don't fight today, you may not see tomorrow. If we are to stand in the evil day, it is keeping the focus on this day. Because today is the evil day in which we must stand, not tomorrow or the day after. It is today that we must fight and stand in his power. The problem with many Christians is that they're either looking forward to some battle that hasn't started yet and preparing themselves for that and thinking to themselves, well, I've got plenty of time for this to get myself ready. I'll, I'll keep myself busy doing a few other things. You know, God's stuff can wait. It's not really that important at the moment. You know something? I've got a job to do. I've got a family to look after. I've got a career to build. I have money to make. I've got a holiday to go to. I've got a football game to go and see. I've got... How many excuses do you reckon that we can make? Can we count them? I think we can't. I think we can actually make... as We can continue making excuses forever if we really want to. Yeah, I've got a sore back, I've got a headache, I've got this and I've got that. There are plenty of, plenty of excuses we can make that instead of training, and training is not easy, instead of fighting, just take it easy. Leave the fighting for someone else. Let them take care of it for the moment. I mean, that, that guy's pretty strong over there. Look, he's much stronger than me. Let him do the fighting for me. I'll just, I'll just sit behind you for a little bit and just take it easy. God wants us to fight today, not tomorrow. And he also doesn't want us living in the past. Tell me wonderful victories you've had. How many wonderful victories have you had spiritually in your life? Is it nice to live back and reminisce about those victories? Is it nice to reminisce? And It's nice to reminisce. It's good to encourage yourself and myself with the victories that God has given us in our lives. But let me ask you a question. Have we stopped and are now living in the past with our past victories, refusing to take up the armour because we're satisfied with what we've done? There are too many people whose testimonies don't change from the time they get saved. Tell me, let me ask you a question. Your testimony. If I ask you your testimony today to come behind this pulpit and share what God's done in your life. Most of you understand what a testimony is, don't you? And we normally equate testimony with how God saved me, correct? But did you know that a testimony doesn't stop there, it starts there. A testimony is an ongoing thing that changes. Because what a sorry excuse for Christians we are if 
the, our testimony finished at the, at the day that we got saved. And God did nothing else for us, nothing important in our lives after that, that we can share with other people and say, what a wonderful God I serve. Let me ask you, you about your testimony today. How good is your testimony? Not to me, but to yourself and to God. Is your testimony growing? Does it change? Is God active in your life? And when I say God is active, He wants to be active in your life. Are you allowing Him in your life? Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. The evil day is now and God calls us to fight now. If we focus on tomorrow, we'll lose today. And if we focus on yesterday, we'll lose today as well. Do the right thing today and not tomorrow. This is his desire, that we stand with our feet firmly planted today. That we plant our feet hard in that ground. We put our shoulder behind this shield and we hold this ground. This is his expectation, nothing less. Anything less put, lets him down and puts ourselves and the people around us once again at terrible risk. Do you know why you have to you know why you have to plant your feet on the ground, why it says to stand? You ever seen those you ever seen how they fought in those days with those with those swords? Alright, imagine this. You're in the middle of a battle. There's swords flailing everywhere. And you lose your footing. And you end up on your back. Boom. What chance do you have? Once you fall over, either forwards or backwards, you're gone. Because the guy who you're fighting with simply goes, and it's all over. God expects us to stand. And to stand, you need to have your feet firmly planted on something. Let's have a look at what God expects our feet to be planted on. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your loins go about with truth. That's an interesting way of putting something. Loins go about with truth. Well, the word girt is the past of gird, right? So it's something you've done already. But gird means literally to encircle, to wrap something around your torso here, to tie something around your waist, okay? And the reason that they would tie something around their waist is because, you know, all the stuff they had, Hanging off them? The, this thing that would tie would keep together all these things that you had. It would tie them together. So when you walked, they wouldn't go flapping around and moving. And when you fought, they wouldn't shift. They would stay firmly in place. And there was also a place where you could actually put your sword and, and, and a few other things as well. So it had a very important thing. It held everything together. It held everything together. Spiritual significance here is that God doesn't want us simply pointing to the truth. God wants us to wear truths like that. It holds things together in our lives. Not only does the belt hold everything in place, the belt allows us to carry other things as well. If you don't have truth as your foundation, if you don't have truth, it's a thing that holds things together. If you're happy to, to believe lies simply because they might feel good or they might sound okay, then the likelihood is that this belt's going to come off. And you're going to have things flapping around and things falling off and you can't fight in that condition. Some people have... Um, the sword of God's word, because later on we're going to find out that the, that, the, um, that the sword is the word of God. Without the truth, the belt falls off. You can't hold your belt. 
And people come to reckless conclusions when they're happy to, um, to put the truth second. Truth is the very first element of the armour. John chapter 8 verse 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. If anything the devil would want us to do is to break down the truth that holds our lives together. And it's no wonder that God commences with the loins being good about with truth because it was a lie that led to the fall of man. It is lies that continue to keep man in darkness. Without truth, everything else falls apart. We are therefore exhorted to put on truth for our own sanctification deliverance as well as for the benefit of those we witness to. Truth must be the very foundation of our lives. If we don't have truth around us, we are not going to keep our feet in the battle. We will fall. The most important source of truth comes from the Word of God. It is the source of truth. It is this war manual that God has given us in order that we might learn about our adversary and about life and how we are to have this relationship with God himself. And in order to have the truth, in order to, to have this truth and use it, we, the Bible says we must rightly divide it. We must rightly pull it apart and understand it. Dividing it wrongly leads to disaster. So my question to you this morning is, do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How well do you know him? How well do you know the truth this morning? How firm in your conviction are you that you would, if someone presents you with something that's not truthful or is a mix of a lie, that you will stand up against it? Or are you happy to wear are you happy to be taught? Are you happy to receive things that are just plain wrong? Rate yourself today. Do you have the truth? Do you understand it? And the next part is having the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate is something that was worn in the front. It's the most important article of defence that protects your whole front of your body with all your vital organs there. From a mortal wound. It was often composed of either a solid piece of metal like the Romans used to do, or it can contain numerous smaller pieces that would fit over each other, like the scales on a fish. So you couldn't if someone tried to penetrate it with a with a something sharp, it couldn't break through. This righteousness is not works of righteousness that, that we have done our own righteousness, but rather is a righteousness of Christ, imputed, that means given, handed across to by God and received by faith. That piece of armour we just received by faith. It guards our hearts. It guards our souls. It guards us against the accusations and charges of the devil as he seeks to break in as he seeks to actually infiltrate our lives. And the only way we can experience victory in our lives is when we have full confidence in not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Because the righteousness of Jesus, everything that good that he ever did, all the wonderful things that he is, you know something? He gave it to you and me. He gave that to you and me. Most of us understand having our sins paid for. Is that correct? Most of us understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for my sins, which was my debt to God. Correct? But not only did he pay for my debt, but when I received him by faith, he paid for my debt by the blood that was shed, and the Bible says he imputed his righteousness to my account. So I no longer have a zero account. I actually have a huge account. And it doesn't matter what the devil brings against me, that account can more, can more than satisfy any charge against me because it's his righteousness, not mine. The righteousness of that armour helps us to understand that it's about him 
not about us. And there's nothing that the devil can bring against me that can rip away my salvation. The other interesting part of the, the, this breastplate is that it offered no protection for the person's back. No protection. It was assumed that soldiers would not turn their backs toward the enemy and run. Likewise, Christian soldiers need to stand firm and never surrender ground. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you understand the righteousness of Christ in your life? What does it mean to you this morning? What does it mean that Jesus imputed and gave his righteousness to you today? Has it affected your thinking at all? Do you understand what actually does for you? Please, spend some time in that. Romans is a wonderful passage on it. Read up about it. Understand what that righteousness is. If you understand the righteousness of Christ, you know what I'll guarantee you? That you won't be trying to prove yourself to God and making your own righteousness. Verse 15 says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should always be prepared. We should always be ready. To share that gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Preparation. First thing to consider is the gospel requires preparation. You've got to lace up the shoes. You've got to put them on and lace them up. Okay? We must prepare ourselves for a walk. There is advancement that needs to be made. We must study the word of God that we might be properly equipped in our knowledge to share the gospel with others. Do you have that knowledge today? If someone was to ask you, how do I get saved this morning? If someone came into this church and was convinced by the, by the actual preaching, and thought to themselves, I need to be saved. Who can I go to to ask, where do I get saved and how do I do it? Can I ask you a question? Are you ready for that this morning? Would you be ready to be able to explain how, you, how a person gets saved? Would you be ready to lead them? Do you know? Are you prepared? If you're not prepared, then why not? Why aren't you ready to be able to explain the gospel? Do you know where to go in the Bible to explain where they are, where they're at, what God has provided for them? If you're not prepared, then you can't start your walk. You can't start to advance. That is the idea of the gospel of peace is that we're walking into enemy's territory, isn't it? We're not walking backwards. We're walking forwards. We're taking ground that he, hasn't got, that he has got, and these are the lives of people that are around us. We're infiltrating his territory, which means we have to walk, and it means we have to be prepared for the fight. And he's going to put many obstacles in the path. He wants to halt propagation of the gospel. If it's something the devil hates, it's actually where the gospel reaches people and they get saved. So he tries every possible trick he can to actually stop that gospel from reaching people. That's the point of the sow of the seed. So the message goes out and people are always too busy doing something else. He manages to distract them. He manages to take away the word. He manages to keep them busy with their own lives. He manages to get them to, to uh, respond to it quickly, but then only respond emotionally. Get them all emotional about it rather than actually build a foundation and build the root down. The devil will try every possible way to put obstacles in your path if you are equipped to share the gospel. He did it to Paul. He'll, he'll do it to you and he's done it, he's done it before. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, 
endeavoured the more abundantly to see you fight, uh, to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered. Satan knows how to how to put obstacles in the path. So verse 16 then tells us, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Above all, take the shield of faith. Why would he say above all? Because armor's great. Yeah, helmet's great. Breastplate's great. Learning your goings is great. Putting on your feet, your, your shoes is great. But you know something? If you go into a battle without a shield, you might stick out your chest long enough and they might start hammering. How long do you reckon that, that chest or that breastplate is going to last? It wasn't made to take a battering. It wasn't made to be constantly hit. Those things are put in place and the helmet and the breastplate and all those things are only put in place to take the occasional blow that breaks through. But if you don't have a shield, you won't last very long. A shield is something that's made to take a battering. It's made to get hit all day long and not to be penetrated. So the reason that you have to have this thing above all is because a shield is necessary to survive. And a shield isn't held loosely in a soldier's hands. It was firmly strapped to the forearm so it could resist the blows that came from the enemy's sword without dropping it. If you held it like this, the first time the, the, the enemy would give it a decent hit with the thing, it would fall out of your hands. This thing needs to be strapped on tight. It needs to be part of us. And it's the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that is that, that shield. How is your faith today? How strong is your confidence and trust in Jesus? I often find Christians a little bit confusing. They often say that they trusted Jesus to save their eternal souls from hell, right? And they believe that because he died on the cross for them, he shed his blood, he rose again from the third day, and because they trusted that, therefore, he saved them. But then they lead lives that are almost the opposite of what that actually means. They lead lives that are, that are so, of a, so much of a roller coaster that I can't work out how those two things actually fit together. If you're saved, why is your life like a, like a, a train wreck? And you know what it boils down to? Is that someone can actually put their faith in Jesus to save their eternal soul, give them a home in heaven, be cleansed of all sin at that particular point and say, I've trusted him for that, but you know something? I can't trust him for every day. I really don't. I really don't trust that he can actually see me through this particular issue. I've got to do this myself. I don't trust him to be able to, to lead me into the truth. I don't trust him for this, that or the other. And then what we end up doing is we, we, we try to take back our lives. So we gave him our lives when we first got saved, but then slowly, slowly and gradually, we sort of don't trust him that much. So you know something? Give me that one back. Give me this part back and give me that one back there over there as well. And I'll give you that. That's not too bad. It won't be too much of an issue. That one's okay. And then we wonder why our lives are in disarray. We need to be growing in our faith with Christ. Your salvation is where faith started, not where it finished. Faith began at that point. We need to be growing in faith. We need to, we need to be giving him more and more as he proves himself to us. He is fully trustworthy. Why do we hold back from him? Why do we not trust him? Take up the shield of faith. Take it up. Have confidence in your Saviour. If he saved you from hell, he can save you today. He can, he can do anything for you. Have confidence in him.
Verse 17. How are we going with time? I think we might be a little bit wrong. Well, Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation. So what does Paul mean by salvation here, though? What's, what's a helmet got to do with salvation? Have you thought about that? A helmet and salvation. Now, salvation is where you get saved from hell and, you, and God saves you for, for heaven. But what would salvation be be um, associated with protecting the head. Let's look at another, another scripture where Paul talks about this. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Because he gives us a little bit more in this particular place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's an interesting one. In this particular place, he's talked about, he's, he's talked about that breastplate as faith and love. And then he puts hope, as the, as, the, uh, as the helmet. Recognize those three words? Ever seen those three words anywhere else? They're in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But these three remain. Faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. So in this particular place he says that for the helmet we have the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Knowing you're saved, knowing you're saved by the Lord, and it's He who's doing the saving, is the greatest protection and peace your mind can ever have. If you're distracted by the devil, if you're distracted by this world, and if you're ever in a situation where you think, God's abandoned me, God's given up on me, the Lord has given up on me, how much peace can you actually have? You can't. You can't have peace. But when you have put your faith in Christ and you know that he saved you, you know that it's all, it's all him and that he's going to keep you in the palm of his hand and he will never let you go, you know the peace that comes with that? You know the joy that comes with knowing that I'm free, I'm saved. There is no one who can take me out of his hand. That's peace. And when things start getting tough around when things start going bad and the circumstances don't look good, you know something? When I think about that he saved me and that he's already prepared a home for me and that salvation is guaranteed for me, it will help you to overcome any obstacle that you have. That's why that there's hope in this helmet, which is salvation. And the sword of the Spirit. This is, the one, this is the part where actually the scriptures actually it, it interprets it itself. It says this sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And this is the only peace that God has given us that is actually offensive, which means all the other ones, whether it's a helmet, a girdle, a shoes, whether it's the breastplate, all those are defensive. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not into attacking. This one actually fights back. So while all the other pieces of spiritual armour are defensive in nature, the sword of the Spirit is only offensive. It's the only offensive weapon, sorry. It speaks of the holiness and power of the Word of God. There is no greater spiritual weapon in our hands than the sword. In Jesus' temptation, when he was tempted by the devil in the, in the wilderness, how did he fight back? He used the Word of God. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered how much training a soldier has in the use of his gun or in a sword? Yeah, someone nodding profusely over there. Because right? you know how many hours and how, much, how many um, sessions you had to go through, how much time you had to, how many bullets you had to shoot, and also all the safety stuff that goes around it. I'm assuming that'll be just a small part of it, right? No, it's a big part of it. 
Okay. When the army, whether it's the Roman army that handed across a sword to you, or whether it's the Australian army that hands across a gun to you, they want to make sure that you can use that thing, and you're not going to go shooting yourself and other people around you, first of all. So they'll teach you about safety first. Then they're going to want to make sure that you can use that thing. They're not going to send you into a battle and you don't know how to shoot, how to aim, how to, how to, how to fix it up, how to reload. There are all types of training that has to go into this thing and the use of it. Okay, I hope you're getting my point here. The Word of God is the same. People sometimes take the Word of God and they start flailing around with it. They start throwing it around all over the place. I used to do that. You know, when I, was, um, when I got saved, I had a great deal of zeal. I loved God so much. I was so excited about the things of God. I took that, that Bible and I was bashing people quite literally with it. I caused more damage than good. I was zealous. My heart was right. But I was taking something that was quite powerful and not appreciating how to use it properly. There are too many people in the world today who take the word of God and they dismember it. They don't know how to use it. They leave it either sitting on a shelf or they haven't been properly trained in it. But you and I have been called to be trained in it. This is why we spend so much time in this thing over here. Because my hope for you is not that you would be like me, but that you would be much better than me in being able to take this thing, to handle it properly, and to use it in a way that God is absolutely glorified through it. That when people see the way you use it, the way you, you apply it in your life, in the lives of others, that there are amazing things that happen. Because through this, amazing things do happen. But if it's not used correctly, terrible things can happen. There are people who have done terrible things in the name of this particular word. Things that I shudder to think about. So, my question to you today is, how well do you know the Word of God? How well do you know how to apply it? I'm not talking about memorising, I'm talking about how to, actually how to use it, how to wield it. You might know a lot about a gun. You might know all the different parts of it, the types of ammunition it takes, the gauge. You might know uh, or the, the system it uses. You might know everything about a gun, but if you have never used a gun, you're still not safe with it. Do you get my point? You might have this word memorised, but so did the Pharisees. They didn't know how to use it properly. So my question is today is, how well do you know the Word of God and how well do you know how to apply it? Time to train. So he finalises this with praying, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Pray always. Pray always. If there's anything that you need to do when you're in the midst of a battle is that you need to have a, commu a clear communication line with your commander. You need to know where you need to be. If you're in the midst of a battle and you're going one way and the army's going the other way, you know where you're going to find yourself in a very difficult circumstance. But when you're in communication with your commander, when you are speaking to him and you're sharing with him, and it says here not only to pray but to give supplication on behalf of the saints. In other words, you see people in trouble around you and you say, Commander, please send reinforcements down. Please help this one over here. Send him some relief. Send him some relief. I'll try and support him. Do you understand how it works? We're in the midst of a battle. So pray always, keeping constant communication. Prayer is so important to this spiritual warfare that we have. If, you have, if that is disconnected, if you are disconnected from God, then you're not getting the orders that you need to be getting. You're not sharing with him your position. And you're not sharing with him and you're not calling on him to protect others around you. Which means we need to be observant about what's going on around us. We need to observe always. It says watching thereunto. Watching and praying always go hand in hand. 
If you don't watch, you, don't, you haven't got a clue about what to pray for. So it's incumbent on us to watch what's going on, to see the people around us, to watch what they're going through, to take an active interest in, in their lives and then pray for them. This is not about us. If you're a soldier, this is not just about you going out fighting your little war. Please, this is about us together. This is about us concerned about each other. Because where the, where the Romans used to have a line and they had to hold the line, if the guy next to you fell, there was a breach and the enemy could go through. We often fight as if we're the only ones fighting. But the guy next to us doesn't really matter. I don't care about him. I don't care about him. This is me fighting here. This is all my battle. Let me show you, God, how wonderful I am over here. But it takes, it takes an army to win a battle. We don't fight this thing ourselves. We need to be observant, watching out for where we are, where the enemy is, and where our brethren are as well on the battlefield. We need to communicate with our commander. How is your prayer life today? How's your prayer life? Do you pray? Are you concerned about the people around you? Do you pray primarily about yourself? Or do you pray for the people and the concern of the other you have for them around you? Please, spend time in prayer. It may be difficult sometimes for you, but pray. Romans, close up with this. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says... And that knowing the time that now is, is, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is the salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. God calls us to equip ourselves with his armour. Please do it. Start off with humbling yourself before him and putting on that whole armour, and then knowing how to use each and every piece of it. Paul urges us three times to stand in these scriptures. He knows very well that, that an, any army is no better than its discipline. If there's no discipline in the army, there is no army. The army is absolutely doomed. Remember, discipline is important in this endeavour. And discipline is the same word that's used for disciple. If you're a disciple of Christ, you need to be disciplined for Christ. Does anyone know what a standard bearer is? I'm going to close with a quick story here. Anyone know what a standard bearer is? Standard bearer, the guy who'd hold the flag, right? Do you know why they'd hold the flag? I never knew, to be honest with you. I thought they'd just hold the flag in, a, in, a, in, a, in an army because they, they just wanted to show off and show who they were, just in case the army's got mixed up. Maybe, maybe not. But... A standard bearer in a battle had a job to hold the flag over the territory that was gained by his army. So he, once they'd broken into that ground, his job was to show this is where we've reached. This is the place. Do you understand? So they knew how far they'd come, how far they'd progressed. His job was to make sure that standard showed where they were, right? During a, uh, a, the Civil War in America, during an absolutely fierce battle, one Union company was fighting under a, hill, a hail of bullets to take a strategic hill from the Confederacy. After making progress halfway up the hill, the weary soldiers became discouraged by the constant barrage and began to retreat back down the hill. Then they noticed their standard bearer who carried the company flag, refused to fall back. He wasn't going to fall back, this guy. And they shouted to him, bring the standard back down. Bring the standard back down to us. They started screaming at him. But despite the fact that cannons were exploding all around this guy, despite the fact that bullets were flying left and right, he wasn't willing to yield an inch. And he turned back and he said, no, I'm staying here. He said, you come up to where the standard is. 
they got to a stage where they turned around and they started fighting again because he showed them the courage they needed to see and they took the hill. Today, God calls you to stand. Whatever ground that you've reached, stand. Don't fall back. Don't retreat. Take up that armour. Know how to use it. And don't give up ground to your enemy. Yes, there are, there are areas I know in your life that you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm way too behind. But just hold on to where you are and by the grace of God, make progress. By the grace of God, one step at a time, take back that ground that you may have lost. Take up your armour. Take up your sword. Sword, hold on to that banner. And remember that your Saviour always goes ahead of you. He's never behind you. God bless you. Thank you.